HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed our podcast with John Piotti. Well, good news here. We are producing a monthly show with him as our host. It's called No Farms, No Future, the podcast of American Farmland Trust. The show will dig into the issues facing farms and farmers today, and I think you'll love it. We all need to eat, and as a result, we all need to know what faces the folks who raise our food. Today, we are proud to premiere the very first episode of No Farms, No Future. You'll find the show on Heritage Radio Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We had moved to a 100-acre farm. We set up fences that were permanent. And one day we got a notice from our landlord's son that they were going to terminate our lease and they wanted us out in 90 days. You'll hear more about that story on this episode of No Farms, No Future, the new podcast from American Farmland Trust. I'm John Piotti, President and CEO of AFT. In each episode of No Farms, No Future, created in collaboration with the Heritage Radio Network, We'll examine a critical challenge faced by farmers and ranchers today. Join us to hear their voices while grappling with tough decisions shaping their future and ours. For the rest of this episode, we turn it over to our producer, Rob Hoschel. Hello and welcome to No Farms, No Future. In today's episode, we go in-depth with the man you just heard, John Piotti, the head of American Farmland Trust. After he talks about the challenge of protecting farmland, you'll meet farmers grappling with how to best acquire and cultivate precious farmland. For all of this, we go now to our reporter, Rachel Gottbaum. We begin with a conversation with AFT president, John Piotti. Piotti is a hybrid of sorts. In his 30-year career, he's worked with both farmers and environmentalists. And he says that building common ground between the two is critical to conserving our natural resources and feeding the planet. Piatti has been president of American Farmland Trust for the past five years, where he continues to help build a new kind of environmentalism. American Farmland Trust is truly a unique organization. We were founded in 1980, and our origins, I think, are critical to our story. Of course, in the 1960s and 70s, there was really a awakening amongst the public about environmental issues. 
And often farmers were perceived as one of the big polluters, part of the problem. And sometimes that was quite accurate. In the 1970s, as the environmental movement was gaining force, there were some people who began to wonder if there was value in thinking about agriculture differently. And one of them was Peggy Rockefeller, one of our founders. It's interesting. At the time, she served on the board of the Nature Conservancy, TNC. And Peggy and a cohort of people, they asked TNC if they would begin to approach environmental issues with a perspective of farmers as potential partners. And TNC said no. And some other environmental groups said no. And then some agricultural organizations were asked, and, and they said no. These were groups that had really defined themselves in many ways of being opposed to the other side. But there really was this stark line between environmentalists and farmers. It became clear that there needed to be a new organization that would view agriculture and the environment as being inseparable. And that was the birth of AFT. So from the beginning, we were a unique organization in a very unique space. And our initial focus, one is the protection of agricultural land, saving the land, making sure that it's going to be around for the future. And the second, making sure that the farming practices are protecting the soil on that land. We had this dual purpose of protecting the land and protecting the soil. We sometimes refer to that as saving farmland by both the acre and the inch. And uh, that really opened up unique opportunities for a young organization. And we almost immediately began to have a pretty big impact on agricultural policy. We organized something called the Conservation Coalition. And it was really the first effort to get other organizations under the same umbrella of focusing on what could be done to think of the stewards of our land, our farmers and ranchers, as engines for environmental change. But the beauty of farming is that you can both grow food and provide important environmental benefits. So saving the land is critical short-term to make sure we have farms nearby to serve us in time of need, in time of crisis. But thinking longer term, and by long term here, I'm talking 20, 30, 40 years out, if we don't have enough farmland, we're not only going to be struggling with a food supply, we are not going to have the ability to heal our planet. So why is agriculture and conservation, why is that a natural connection? Well, it's a natural connection because without good conservation practices, agriculture can't be sustainable. Farming relies ultimately on a number of things, but one of them is soil health. And the story of our country was one of people coming, planting crops, raising livestock, mining the land, pushing the land beyond its capacity, and then moving on keep working the soil and trying to pull fertility out of it without replenishing it. So conservation practices are critical if we're going to have agriculture sustain itself. But we've been able to ignore that at times because there are other ways to make up for soil fertility. You can make up for soil fertility with synthetic fertilizers, for instance. 
So there were periods of time in our history where we could ignore that. And we're at a point in time now where we can. We need the land to grow our food, but we also need it quite desperately to provide a number of critical environmental services. And the only way we can do that is if we're following better practices in the land. You could call them conservation practices. You could call them regenerative practices. But it's basically making sure that you're not mining the soil, you're not depleting it, but instead you're either keeping it as good as it was or making it better for the future. So what's happened here, John? I mean, let's talk about the loss of farmland. What's happened, say, since the 1970s, the 1980s? We have been losing farmland in this country for a long time, and it's complicated. Part of what was happening were market forces that were often driving farms to get larger. There were also a increased use of synthetic fertilizers and chemicals, which vastly increased productivity levels. So you didn't need as much farmland to grow the same amount of food. As a result, by the 1970s and 1980s, an industry that had employed a lot of Americans was becoming an industry that was employing 2-3% of the population. And it meant that farm communities were losing population. It meant that more consumers were unaware of farming and that much more disconnected from agriculture. So I think for a while, people didn't really care that much. And I, I think it has only been recently that there's been an appreciation that that trajectory needed to be turned around. So what does it mean to lose farmland in this country and how much are we losing today? Well, we're still losing farmland in America, not nearly at the pace that we were 40 years ago. And part of that is a testament to the work that American Farmland Trust and the movement that we, we created 40 years ago. There was not the notion of agricultural conservation easements. There was no federal funding for farmland protection. There was fewer than 10,000 acres of farmland that had been permanently protected. You jump to today and the amount of farmland that's been permanently protected is close to 7 million acres. So we've done some things well in the last 40 years, but the problem is still there. And at present, we are losing... 2,000 acres of farmland a day, that's about three quarters of a million acres per year. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network. Stay with us for the rest of this episode of No Farms, No Future. HRN is thrilled to be the home of this new podcast, because America's irreplaceable farmland grows our food and supports a trillion-dollar-a-year agriculture economy. Farmland is the foundation of our rural communities, providing jobs, recreational opportunities, and a deep connection to the land. Farms are also critical in the fight against climate change. Learn more about American Farmland Trust and how to get involved at farmland.org. Now let's return to today's show. 
More than half of all American farmers are getting ready to retire, but most of them don't have a way to pass on their land to the next generation. So what's going to happen to farming in America? We have a lot of land in this country that is currently farmed by very old farmers. And about 380 million acres of farmland are going to change hands. And that's a little scary. John Piotti is president of American Farmland Trust. We need farmers to grow our food and we want a lot of farmers. We don't want to just have all the food grown on a few very large farms. So how do we make sure that there'll be sufficient farmers in the future? When Josh Rockwood was in his late 20s, he was working as a building contractor in upstate New York. That's when he found out he had a rare heart condition. Doctors told him he would be on medication for the rest of his life, but he didn't like that idea. So I started doing some research on how I could lower my cholesterol naturally and found that pasture-raised meats and eggs could actually do that. So I went on a voyage to find those products locally, and there were not a lot of options. So almost immediately, went and bought 100 chickens and started eating pasture-raised chicken and pasture-raised eggs, and it made a huge difference in my cholesterol. I dropped my cholesterol 100 points within six months. And something else happened. Rockwood and his wife fell in love with farming. As I changed my health, it slowly became a passion to help other people change their health as well. So it started with family and friends, and they started buying more and more meat from us. And then we went to a farmer's market and started getting a clientele. Within a couple of years, the Rockwoods Farm near Albany, New York grew. They added pigs and cows and relocated to a place large enough to raise all of their livestock. We had moved to a 100-acre farm we set it up for the animals to winter there. We set up fences that were permanent. We had storage for our hay and we had water set up. And one day we got a notice from our landlord's son that they were going to terminate our lease and they wanted us out in 90 days. Suddenly, everything that Josh Rockwood and his family had worked for, the farming business they had created, their relationship with the community, and their future hung in the balance. Instantly, my wife and I had the conversation of whether we stop farming, close the farm altogether, and concentrate on something else. Basically, we had to start from scratch if we were losing the lease that we had. We had to move 60 head of cattle, about 60 pigs, and several hundred chickens, along with all of our other infrastructure. So essentially, not only would we have to start over, we also would have to move everything we already owned. So it's a big undertaking, and we wanted to make sure we really thought it through before continuing on and starting again from scratch. Julia Friedgood is a senior advisor with American Farmland Trust. She says local and regional farmers who are a vital part of our communities and our food supply are being squeezed out. There's been consolidation in cropland. Some of these larger farms have gotten much larger and therefore controlling a lot more of the land. You also have trends of development pressure taking a lot of land out of agriculture. There's just less of it available on the market. And so this whole new generation of farmers who wants to enter has a really hard time because you have to be so capitalized and the price of land is often so high that it's really hard to get started. That's the predicament we're in right now. At the time that Josh Rockwood and his wife received their eviction notice, 
their customer base was growing. More people wanted to eat meat grown locally. We had set up a farm store at our house. We were basically selling out of our product. So that was one of the reasons why we decided to continue on farming and to expand the farm. But the problem was finding a new place to go where the Rockwoods could invest in their future without worrying about being forced out. There weren't a lot of options. Farmland is incredibly expensive all across the country. That's Greg Plotkin with American Farmland Trust. For new and beginning farmers, the two major challenges to being successful are access to affordable land and access to capital. And especially for new farmers that don't come from a family that has land to pass down to them, it becomes nearly impossible to buy property that you can farm and that is close to a city or close to a market that you can actually sell your produce. In Marina del Rey in Los Angeles, there's a weekly farmer's market right by the harbor. One of the booths near the entrance is stocked with oranges, avocados, tomatoes, and all kinds of greens, harvest from California's Central Valley. My name is Mario Alfaro. I work in from Riverside. I grow everything you see on the table, apples, pears, semen, dragon fruit, passion fruit, tomatoes. Mario Alfaro came here from El Salvador 16 years ago. He leases a 23-acre farm with his wife, where he grows all of his own produce and sells most of it at farmer's markets. I asked him if he plans to buy his own farm, but he says he can't afford it. Over one million dollars, the ranch. To buy it would be over a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you can't do that. I know, no. I know how we have too much money. Is there a way that you can find a farm to buy? No, the moment, uh, on any place is expensive. Maybe five acres is half. Uh, Half the million, too expensive. Five acres is half a million. Yes, yeah. Alfaro says he would like to own his own farm because he can't really be sure how long the owner will continue to rent to him and whether he will have to leave. Carmen Carrasco grew up on a farm in Mexico that has been in her family for generations. She says when she first came to the U.S., she was surprised that so many family farms were being sold off for development. It was just kind of something that I assumed, you know, that people were doing the same thing. Like, you grew up in a farm, you're going to continue the tradition. But um, when you have so many challenges, I can also see why it's easy for people to just give up and say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. The future of American farming is a giant unknown. That's because more than one-third of American farmers are 65 or older, and they are getting ready to retire. They currently own more than 40% of the nation's agricultural land. But very few have a transition plan, and many will be pressured to sell their farms to developers. It's not like most farmers have a company-sponsored retirement plan, a 401k that they're paying into throughout the course of their life and are going to cash out as soon as they hit retirement age. For most farmers around the country, their land is their only retirement income. Greg Plotkin of AFT. We need to protect as much land from development as possible. Big farms, small farms, farms on the coast, farms in the middle of the country. That's the first step. 
If you lose farms, if it is paved over, that land does not come back into agricultural production. It just does not. You have to protect it from being paved over. And once we do that, we can find ways to make it more affordable. We can find ways to give farmers better access to markets. But we can't do it if it's a shopping mall. With so many farmers getting ready to retire, more than 380 million acres of agricultural land could be lost. My name's Sandy Gordon. I'm 66 years old. I was born on a family farm in Schoharie County, New York. And at a very young age, I became another integral farmhand on that farm. Sandy Gordon has farmed his whole life. And when he was ready to retire, he was determined to make sure his farm was not turned over to development. But he may be an exception. Many farms succumb to the allure of selling their land for the highest dollar available, and that dollar comes from the developer. And if you want to see your farm produce food on into the future, you have to abandon that thought of your farm is a cash cow. To me, it was an easy decision because I wanted to preserve farmland, preserve the infrastructure that we're going to need to feed a 9 billion population in the course of my lifetime. Gordon says the COVID pandemic underscored the need for local and regional farmers. The virus disrupted the country's food supply and revealed major vulnerabilities with a system that relies on mass production and a small number of mega farms located far away from most of the population. This became clear when grocery store shelves were empty and Americans couldn't buy meat, produce, and other supplies. That's when they realized they could get their food closer to home from their local farmer. You're not going to crash when a pandemic hits because you're producing a product in the area it can be consumed that embeds the farm in the community and the community in the farm. We all have a vested interest in a healthy microeconomy because a group of microeconomies, villages, communities supported by their local farms will be much more stable than a macroeconomy where our food chain fell apart after three days of interruption. The first thing Sandy Gordon needed to do was to find the right family to buy it from him. He went on the internet to a site created by American Farmland Trust, a sort of matchmaking service for landowners and older farmers who want to transition their land to the next generation. As soon as it went up, I posted my farm on it. And every time a new farmer came up that was looking for something that was over 100 acres, certified organic, water, livestock, fencing, I would email them. I also posted the farm on Craigslist in London, in Miami-Dade, in Fort Lauderdale, in California, in drought areas, looking to see if there were other people that were out there looking to buy a farm. Finding a match would be just the beginning of a complex set of arrangements needed to make sure Sandy Gordon's land was preserved and a new farmer could afford to buy it. Farm transitions are really hard. Tim Biello for American Farmland Trust. They take a long time and they don't get easier as you get older and they don't get easier as the business gets into a more challenging financial situation and they don't get easier as development pressure increases. And so we put together American Farmland Trust working with all these partner organizations the support network for farmers or farmland owners to make these connections, to make a lease, to make a transition plan, to conserve their farm so it's permanently protected for agricultural purposes, whatever it might be. This whole team of organizations is working to, to provide support for them.
Once Sandy Gordon posted his farm profile on the AFT Farm Finder site, dozens of people came to see it. But none were a good match until he met Josh Rockwood. I'd been in touch with Tim Biello, and he turned me on to the Hudson Valley Farm Finder. Through that, I was able to find four or five different farms in the area that might work. And that was how we found Sandy's farm here in Knox. Josh made a date to meet Sandy and tour his farm. We took the whole family, was my wife, Stephanie, and then our two children, Hunter and Roman. And Sandy drove us around. He really sold us on the farm and the idea of working with him. When I went to look at the cows, my seven-year-old at the time reached up and grabbed Sandy's hand. And Sandy kind of showed him around the cows, keeping him safe. Right then and there, we really understood how big of a heart Sandy has. Upon leaving, I asked everybody in the car what they thought. And, and everybody was in love with the place and the idea of moving here. So from there, we really started envisioning it as if we were already living here. A nonprofit that funds organic farms bought Sandy Gordon's property and now has a lease-to-buy arrangement with Josh Rockwood. A local land trust set up a conservation easement, so the property will remain farmland into the future. At the moment, advocacy groups like these are trying to fill a void created by a lack of support for local agriculture. Within a few years, Josh Rockwood will be able to buy the land where Sandy Gordon and his family farmed for generations. He says his path is now clear. It's definitely a game changer. I can do a better job and do them permanently knowing that that investment's going to be an investment in our future. For Sandy Gordon, it's a relief to know that his farming legacy will be preserved and that his community can continue to depend on local agriculture. I hope to see a generational uh, peace here and other families, once we get past the hurdles of how to afford to get young farmers into farm operations, that many other young families will have an opportunity to produce healthy food for their communities and live a healthy life. Sandy Gordon knows it will take much more than simply preserving his own land to make sure the more than 2 million farmers who are getting ready to retire can pass on their land so future generations can farm. Thanks to Rachel Gottbaum for that story and the interview with American Farmland Trust President and CEO John Piotti. In our next episode, John Piotti talks about how the pandemic has changed our relationship to food and how it's exposed the country's broken food system. Well, COVID, I think, was a wake-up call for a lot of Americans who had never really thought about their food supply. It made them wonder, where does our food come from? That's next time on No Farms, No Future, the podcast of American Farmland Trust, created in collaboration with the Heritage Radio Network and produced by The Food Voice, executive producer Louisa Kasdan and audio director and composer Michael Moss. I'm Rob Hoschild.